Welcome to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast, where each week, God willing, you will be able to hear a poem, a story, a meditation, and a musical interlude that give expression to one Sufi's perspective concerning the mystical dimension of Islam. My name is Anab Whitehouse, and I will be your host. Although I am not a sheikh, nonetheless I did have the opportunity to spend 16 years in the company of a Sufi saint of the 20th century and by the grace of God, was able to gain a few insights into the nature of the Sufi mystical path through that association. So, without further delay, let's proceed to the essential contents of this episode. The ensuing floretry selection is entitled, Explosive Questions. Have you heard about the living dead, who move among us as a corrupted moral essence, though several commissions have tried to mask their presence? Did you heed the call of ideology to stay clear of outrageous theories of conspiracy, which was shamelessly spun from defective yarns? Did you know there are engineers whose souls show fault lines that place humanity at risk by setting evil free to commit more atrocity? I have many questions about that day. For instance, I would like to hear what they have to say concerning Building 7. Explosive questions that won't go away. Do you proudly hail members of Congress whose hearts suffer from a malady of conscience that has left them deaf, dumb, and blind to September crimes. Are you informed now that the media has confused propaganda with facts while urging us to adopt paranoia as a way of life? Did you salute the cool bravery of military leaders who completely shirked their duty towards an enemy, both foreign and homegrown? I have many questions about that day. For instance, I would like to hear what they have to say concerning Pierre Brunel. Explosive question that won't go away. Have you been properly enlightened by professors who arbitrarily treat duplicity as a quality of truth and justice? Do you feel safer from the terrorists who roam freely within halls of justice, guilty not of failed intelligence, but failed integrity. Does your heart not soar on taxed wings of the heirs to 9-11, more war, torture, tyranny, in an obscenely healthy defense industry? I have many questions about that day. For instance, I would like to hear what they have to say concerning David Shippers. Explosive questions that won't away.
Today's short story is called Falling Upwards. A saint lived in a city by the ocean. As often is the case, almost no one knew of his existence. With many friends of God, oftentimes the only ones who know about them are other like-hearted friends. And sometimes divinity even keeps some of these hidden from view, much like a rich connoisseur of art locks away the most precious pieces of workmanship in a vault that is never open to the public. Sometimes people gather together just to spend time recounting the amazing stories of these spiritual treasures because of the sense of awe, peace, hope, inspiration, and happiness that hearing about the lives of such marvelous exemplars of human potential bring to one's soul. For example, one story making the round with respect to the aforementioned, relatively unknown saint, involved the time that a man, who was in search of truth concerning the purpose of life, had been told by someone that if one wished to learn the secret of life, then one should try to locate a particular person who lived in a certain city. Fortunately for this story, the person for whom the man was told to go in search of was none other than the saint to whom allusions are being made in the present story. Following some hard work, the seeker after truth finally tracked down the saint about whom he had been told. He found the sought-for man sitting in a small garden just off the main square of town. The saint appeared to be meditating on something or engaged in some other silent form of remembering the friend, for his eyes were closed. There seemed to be an aura of peaceful contentment about him. And yet, at the same time, the countenance of the saint seemed to glow with a sense of focus and concentration that radiated outward from whatever was going on within the saint's consciousness. The man who had been looking for the saint sat down on a bench across from the penultimate dimension of his quest. Knowing something about the etiquette observed by the friends of God, he sat in respectful silence, waiting for an opportunity to address the saint. Morning turned into afternoon, and the afternoon began to merge with the evening. Still, the saint had not moved nor opened his eyes. At least as far as the truth-seeker knew, none of this happened. There were a few times when the visitor had grown weary of sitting, or had become hungry or had to answer another of the calls of nature, and therefore took a few short breaks before returning to the garden and resuming the vigil once more. And therefore the saint may have opened his eyes during these times of absence. But other than this sort of possibility, there seemed to be no movement in the spiritual guide. Finally, as night began to prevail and the town lights had been turned on, the truth-seeker noticed a slight change in the body language of the saint. Shortly thereafter, the saint's eyes opened. He rubbed his calves a bit as if to restore a little circulation, or to let them know they hadn't been entirely forgotten, and glanced over at the man on the bench. "'How are you?' the saint asked. The man smiled and nodded his head and then said, "'Good, thank you. And you?' "'Wonderful,' he replied. "'Just wonderful.' The saint scratched his head slightly and inquired, So, what brings you to our fair city? You, the man said. 
I have been told you know how to realize the purpose of life, and judging by the great concentration I have been witnessing in you throughout the day, I would say what I have been told about you may be correct. Where did you learn to concentrate like that? My cat taught me, the saint replied. One day I was watching her, and I was amazed that her eyes never left the mouse hole for hours on end. And suddenly I understood what needed to be done, if I were ever to have even the faintest hope of discovering divinity. The foregoing vignette is actually only a prelude to something else, but the foregoing incident helps to establish a context of sorts. More specifically, there was a time when the saint was returning home from his place of employment, and the hour was rather late. The streets appeared to be deserted. The saint had a bag of groceries in his arms, and had just turned a corner, ready to head down a long set of steps, leading down the hill to his house, when he was surrounded by three thugs demanding his money. Because he had spent what little money he possessed on the groceries which he was carrying, his wallet and pockets were empty of cash. When the thieves found out that the man had no money or valuables, they became enraged by the man's poverty and began to beat him. Eventually their anger subsided somewhat, but before coming back under complete control, they gave the saint one last shove, and the saint lost his balance and started to fall down the stairs which were nearby. Head over heel, he went down the long flight of steps. Scared by either the turn of events or the racket it was making, the would-be robbers ran from the scene. Lights began coming on in different houses in the neighborhood, and people looked out of windows and doorways to try to figure out what was going on. The saint was now at the bottom of the stairs. Someone who had been walking in the street near where the saint lay rushed over to him. Are you all right? the passerby asked. The saint was conscious, and he blinked a few times, as if to reassure himself that he was still among the living. His eyes focused in on the woman who was standing above him. He smiled and said, Yes, I believe God has pulled me through this in remarkably good shape. In fact, I'm sorry there weren't more stairs. A worried look spread across the woman's face. Undoubtedly, in view of the man's comment, such possibilities as concussion or head injury were dancing through her mind. She gave the man on the ground a reassuring smile. She looked up, saw a neighbor standing in the doorway, asked her to call for medical assistance, and the neighbor raised her hand in acknowledgement before disappearing into a house. The woman standing over the injured man returned her attention to the saint, kneeled down, and began trying to comfort the man as best she could. Hoping to gain further information that she might be able to pass on to the emergency team when they arrived, she inquired, What did you mean when you said you wished there had been more stairs? The saint struggled to rise to a sitting position despite the woman's counsel, that perhaps he should remain in a prone position until the medical people got there. He patted the woman on the shoulder and said, No, really, I don't believe there is anything seriously wrong with me but I will wait for the emergency people and let them look me over. He was quiet for a moment, as if acclimating himself somewhat. 
and regaining a degree of physical equilibrium, he looked at the woman and responded to her question. Believe it or not, as I was falling down the stairs, each time my head hit one of the stairs, God elevated my spiritual condition and showed me a new realm of being. By the time I reached the bottom, what I was being shown through these states was so incredibly beautiful and filled me with such joy and awe. I was wishing there were more stairs left on which to hit my head. The woman's gaze froze on the man in a Houston, we've got a problem look. Surely the man was suffering from hallucinations or something similar. The woman chose not to believe what she was being told, but the friends of God know otherwise. The following musical interlude is titled Far Away Places. From one tiny desk on a relatively small planet in a solar system that forms a speck in a galaxy that exists along with billions of other galaxies amidst spatial voids tens of millions of light years across on a material plane that constitutes but one of many realms in God's indefinitely large universe, you are listening to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast. This week's edition of Meditative Essays is Hatred. On one level, hatred involves ignorance concerning the nature of God's plan for existence. 
Generally speaking, whenever we hate someone or something, we have no use for the person, thing, or process in question. We do not see why what is hated should be the way it is. We tend to believe life and or the world would be a much better place if the object of our hatred did not exist. In effect, we are ignorant of how, for instance, the person we hate fits into God's plan. We don't know what cosmic or spiritual purposes that individual has. We don't know how God is using the person to bring about various effects. We don't know what the nature of the relationship is between God and the individual we hate. During the course of a lifetime, one person touches the lives of many other people, both in minor as well as in major ways. To try to calculate how life would be different if a given person had never lived is beyond our capacity to calculate. Even if a person is a miserable human being, we cannot conclude automatically everybody's life would be immeasurably better if such a person did not exist. Sometimes we learn the most about ourselves and the nature of life through close encounters of the worst kind. To use certain people as negative role models is not an uncommon practice. We tell ourselves or our children, don't be like so-and-so. Quite frequently, this sort of lesson sticks in our mind and plays an important role in shaping our character and behavior. Maybe one of the reasons why such people exist is because God wanted other individuals to take heed in their own lives to avoid turning out like those people. Perhaps God created such individuals as spiritual challenges or trials or tests for whomever they came into contact with. If so, then ironically we owe such people a debt of gratitude. This is so because they have been an opportunity for us to grow spiritually and derive benefit. Conceivably, if not for these quote-unquote people of difficulty, we might not have learned certain important lessons in life. There have been movies like Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life or stories involving time travel in which this issue is addressed. How would life be different if so-and-so never had existed or such-and-such such an event had never happened? Sufi masters indicate life is an integrated whole. We are all in this together and we are all in this for a purpose. Ecology is not just about how biological and physical systems interact and affect one another through dynamic, intricate, subtle relationships. Ecology also extends into the emotional, mental, and spiritual realms. According to practitioners of the Sufi path, if something has been brought into existence by God, then that thing has a role to play on a variety of levels within the ecology of being. Nothing exists by chance or arbitrarily or without serving a number of roles in the divine scheme of things. Consequently, when we hate something or someone, this is an acknowledgement of our ignorance of how everything fits together. If we understood existence from a divine perspective, we would see the benefits which come from everyone and everything in creation despite the appearances of life events. Of course, knowing the spiritual significance of something may not make that something any less of a problem for us to have to learn to master. 
however at least things are placed in their proper perspective, and having a reliable framework of guidance through which to engage such issues can be an extremely important asset. Death, illness, tragedy, difficulty, struggle, conflict, antagonism, hostility, and hatred all have a reason for being. We either learn how to use them for our spiritual benefit, or they will consume and use us. There is no neutral territory in this matter. As long as we are entangled in a web of hatred, we cannot derive spiritual benefit from the situation. We are being controlled and consumed by the hatred and therefore are damaging ourselves spiritually. If nothing else, we are losing the opportunity for spiritual growth. A corollary of the foregoing theme of ignorance concerning the divine reasons why the things we hate exist is the following. When we hate something, we, in effect, are criticizing God. There generally is a self-righteousness in our hatred. We feel justified in hating whatever it is we hate. Nonetheless, our hatred is not justified, no matter what has happened. This is the case because whatever has happened has been with the permission of God. According to the direct mystical experiences of the practitioners of the Sufi path, God never does the least injustice to creation. If we don't see it that way, then there is something wrong with the way we see and understand the nature of life. Almost invariably, we speculate about the significance and meaning of events without having any direct proof of the validity of any of our speculations. Almost all of our conclusions are drawn from premises of ignorance concerning the relationship between divinity and creation. Whatever is happening has a spiritual role to play by becoming a channel for blessings and grace from God in this world or in the next if one learns how to deal with the situation properly from a spiritual point of view. To hate a person or situation or thing is to say God is doing something wrong by letting that person's situation or thing be as he, she, or it is. To hate carries with it an implicit sense of justification for wishing whatever we hate to be other than it is. We are self-righteously condemning God for letting things unfold as they do. God is not doing anything wrong. We are the ones who are wrong for jumping to conclusions before all the facts are in and before we have any appreciation of what these facts mean from God's perspective. We are the ones who are wrong for not discovering how we should respond spiritually to the situation. All events demand a response from us. However, not every way of responding is constructive or spiritually beneficial. Hatred is an ill-conceived response from beginning to end. Hatred is a breach of the spiritual etiquette from which practitioners of the Sufi path draw in order to be able to respond to life situations in a spiritually constructive manner. According to Sufi masters, one of the signs hatred is not a justified response to life events is the way in which it induces, sooner or later, negative consequences to rebound against the person who hates. These consequences may come in many different forms and may seem to have little or nothing to do with the context of hatred. One may suffer financially or socially. Difficulties may arise in one's marriage or family. 
one may become ill or suffer emotionally or mentally in some way. To hate involves, knowingly or unknowingly, criticism of God. Criticism of God removes one from the protection of mercy and compassion which God extends to us. As a result, we become vulnerable to various currents of difficulty and hardship which permeate this plane of existence. Hatred has more consequences than we can imagine. The Sufi masters indicate God has not taken this protection away. Rather, we have removed ourselves through our actions. The difficulties which have come our way as a result of our transgression of hatred need not be a permanent condition. For instance, if we repent and seek God's forgiveness for our ignorance about and criticism of divinity, then God willing, the grace and blessings which protect us from such difficulties will be extended to us once again. Repentance, however, is only sincere if we take serious steps to terminate the kind of attitudes, emotions, or behaviors which led to the need for repentance in the first place. In the present case, this means struggling to overcome, God willing, our tendency towards hatred. You have been listening to the Sufi Reverberations podcast. I hope you will join me next week for a new episode of this program. May peace be your companion. Music